If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. These words that we use, you know, natural, unnatural, consumer, waste, consumption, even just things like good and bad and positive and negative, I think those are actually the abstractions. When you use those words, you are speaking actually really unclearly. And when we use the words that actually describe the world that we live in, I think your language and your, your message becomes really, really clear. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to holistic healing, ecological regeneration, and true abundance and wellness for all. This is a community-backed show, so as we enter the new year, we ask for your direct support today if you can at patreon.com slash greendreamer or through purchasing our fundraising planners at greendreamer.com slash shop. Today's episode is part one of a two-part conversation with Farmer Rishi, who we previously had on the show before through a filmed interview on our YouTube channel at greendreamer.com slash YouTube that also cross-published in audio format on the podcast. Rishi is a small-scale farmer, land artist, writer, and educator. He's also the executive director of Sarvodaya Institute and the co-founder and chief gardening officer of Healing Gardens Community. Since 2010, Rishi's been working in the field of urban gardening and farming in Los Angeles, where he's helped to create and establish hundreds of urban gardens. His work today centers on the healing of people and earth as one body. Our last conversation with Rishi was all about regenerative language, and we really lean in deeper here in this discussion with some provocative thoughts on how the term and idea of environmentalism itself may come from a view of separation rather than oneness, how shifts in our perspectives and how we relate to Earth may need to precede the changes that we really wish and need to see to support our holistic healing, and so much more. So, Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Starting off here with what Rishi's been working on over at Healing Gardens since the last time we welcomed him on the show. So I've been working on this project with a friend of mine, Healing Gardens, for the last over a year now. Basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people access 
healing spaces, particularly in terms of gardens in urban areas. And the way we're doing that is we've created this online platform where people can, who have these beautiful, abundant, regenerative gardens in urban spaces, they can list their gardens on our platform and they can you know, list how they want to offer their space to their community. And then people in the community, in the neighborhood, in the city can, can come and book, those, book time in those spaces to use them how they're available. So, you know, at our own farm, at our farm in Pomona, you can come and you can do a tour of the farm through Healing Gardens. You can just book personal time to come and like do yoga or meditate at our farm. And we're starting to offer like workshops and events. So we just had a plant-based dyeing workshop. We're having like farm workouts and all these things were not possible for us before because it was really hard for us to get insurance in a residential property to to actually open up our space to people. And so Healing Gardens provides the insurance for us to be able to do that. And, and that's one of the major products that we're offering to host gardens. Yeah, I think it's super cool. It's kind of like an Airbnb, but for gardens, which is amazing for gardens and for healing and for connecting people within their own communities. So you recently also launched your Increase Your Footprint gardening course, which off the bat may intrigue people because we have a tendency, especially in the dominant environmental movement, to portray the human footprint or human impact as inherently negative. So why increase your footprint and what are you trying to get at with that sort of reframing? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is kind of a key part of what I'm trying to do through my work. You know, for me, like, I've been in this kind of environmental world for the last 10, 12 years since I was in college. And I found myself like the it's like the deeper you go into that environmental world, the deeper that you imbibe all of the rhetoric and all of the ideas, it actually becomes like really difficult just to like live your life day to day. You'll be, I mean, this is my experience, right? Like I'll be washing the dishes and I'd be like so worried about like not using any more water than I needed. And I'll be driving and like trying to like drive in a way that I'm going to use the least amount of gas possible, thinking about like everything I put in my, everything I eat, everything I buy, like I'm trying to like, trying to minimize my, my footprint so much, right? Because everything I've been told is that basically like everything you do is going to negatively affect the earth, right? Like you get the sense that like you really don't belong here and that there's nothing you can do for this place. Like you're just inherently every action, every breath, every bite. I mean, every time you poop, you know, every time you pee, like you're going to have this negative impact on, on the earth. And I just thought of this phrase, you know, increase your footprint because I really wanted to like very clearly, like, and in your face say like, you know what, this whole narrative that this mainstream environmental narrative is really just toxic. It's not helping us. And it's not telling us the truth. Like, it's not telling us the truth about our role on Earth. It's not telling us the truth about our history, like the thousands and thousands of cultures on this planet that exist now and that have existed for millennia that have had 
that have been aware of what their actual relationship to this planet is and live in a way where they are contributing to the health of the earth and they don't try to minimize their impact they're not trying to reduce their footprint they're just really trying like these cultures live in a way where they're just fulfilling their role and it's not negative and positive it's not good and bad it's just like inhabiting that role that that we have as humans on this earth right in the conscious consumerism space there's often this saying that whatever you buy is going to have an impact. So even if you buy something that's labeled eco-friendly, it's still going to have some sort of impact. So the best thing you can do is to not buy anything at all. And I personally would push back on that perspective because if you're able to buy something that is locally produced, ethically made, and that supports the regenerative capacity of the ecosystem where you are, then you purchasing that can actually be supporting that that process of healing for your local community members and also your local ecology. So I actually don't think it's true that everything you buy necessarily has a negative impact. It's just about minimizing that as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I think in all the conversations you and I have had, like, I'm, you know, I'm really specific about the words that I use. And in terms of conscious consumerism, I mean, yes, I think you're absolutely right that like you can buy products and you can support people who are doing wonderful things in terms of their relationship with the earth, with soil, with plants, with animals, with other people. Like, yeah, I think it's really important that we support people who are inhabiting that role already. And also, I think that, you know, my issue with this whole conscious consumerism thing is that like it really limits people to understanding that their relationship to the earth is primarily still through purchasing. And and that's like why, you know, I question that word consumer and I question the idea of consumption completely because the idea of, we talk about consumption in so many different ways, like you're going to consume clothes, you're going to consume books, you're going to consume consume water, you're going to consume food. And the idea behind consumption is that, you know, like, okay, I consumed a chicken, right? Well, the idea behind consumption is that that chicken is just gone, right? Like the energy that was in that chicken is gone. It's been destroyed. Like there's nothing. It's a linear idea, right? Like I consumed a gallon of water. Well, where did that gallon of water go after you consumed it, right? Like, is that the end of the story for that water? Or did you go pee later? And, I, and it's funny, like, I'm, I'm thinking right now of these, you know, I'm sure you've seen these, these diagrams of, like, okay, if you eat this lettuce, if you eat lettuce, it takes 10 gallons of water. And if you eat beef, it takes 2,000 gallons of water. And if you take, if you eat this, it takes so much water. And, you know, having a farm and having a garden like i started to realize like how would you even calculate this like what what are these numbers all about you know because i got chickens at my when i was living with my parents i had we got chickens and we you know we were keeping them in our garden and i also had a pond and the chickens would drink water from the pond but then they would poop that water like back in the garden so like 
I would have a really hard time conceptualizing like, all right, what am I going to measure in terms of the water that my chickens are consuming? Like, how am I going to get to this number that it took 200 gallons of water to produce this pound of chicken or this egg? That whole idea of consumption when you when you are face to face with with these things, especially in the the world of a garden or a farm, like those things just don't make sense. You know, that whole idea doesn't make sense. And I don't think it really makes sense in any context. The whole idea of water use, for example, that you use up the water really doesn't make sense because the water is not going anywhere. But I guess there is a difference in terms of how you, I don't want to say use, but like how you use that water, as in if that water is within this circular system and allowed to continue on in the water cycle, or whether, for example, it's coming out of the tap water, you're creating a lot of effluent that has to go into giant water treatment systems to clean up all the pollution. So there's a difference between whether that water is just cycling through that circular process, or I guess if we're diverting that in a way that is harmful. I don't know if I'm using the right words, but maybe you can speak more to it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think what you're getting at is closer to what we need to get to. And one of the distinctions I make too is that like, you can't actually, you can't consume anything like no matter what you do, right? Like even if you take your water out of the tap and you put it back in the drain and it goes to the sewage treatment plant and it goes to the ocean, like that water is still in a cycle right? Like you cannot take water out of the cycle. So nothing you can do can take water out of the cycle. Like you can't consume water, but really what we, what, you know, if you start to understand this, it's, it's not so much about how much water you use. It's about how much water gets used. Give it all, honey. All your love and money. Is it more so like a misplacement of water? So, for example, the whole idea of waste being from a linear system, it's not entirely linear because it's still there. Exactly. But it might have been misplaced. That That's part of it. So, so what I like to talk about is instead of talking about, you know, let's reduce water consumption, I actually say let's increase water use. Let's increase the number of times water gets used. So when you, you know, if you're imagining that rainfall falling down on the top of the mountain, let's actually increase the number of times that water is used from the time that it lands on the mountain to the time it goes in the ocean. And that's what happens in a forest, in a garden. That rain comes down and it forms into snow, it melts, a deer drinks it, deer pees it on a tree, tree transpires it, forms into a cloud, comes back down as rain, gets into the soil, soil microorganisms are, you know, using this water, passing it back to each other, it's coming back up 
into a, a plant again. It's being foraged by an animal that's coming back as urine. It's, you know, the, the number of times that water is used is just millions and millions and millions of times. And actually the water's movement is really slow. Okay, like it may take years for that water to move from the mountain to the ocean. Whereas if you consider the system of water that we, we've developed in these colonial systems for the past couple hundred years, like that water comes from the mountain, it goes into a pipe, energy is used to pump it, it goes to a treatment plant, its energy is used to clean it, it's pumped to your house, you use it maybe once, right? A lot of the water doesn't even get used once at all, like it doesn't even hit your skin, you know, it just goes straight from the tap to the drain, and then it goes to the treatment plant again, more energy is used to clean the water, and then more energy is used to dump the water back in the ocean. So instead of that water being used millions of times from mountain to ocean, it's being used either once or not at all. And then mm -hmm. instead we have all this energy being used to move, clean, filter this water. And so that's why we have this like this accumulation of damage from our water system, from basically every system that we have to deal with any of the gifts that this earth provides us. We're just like in a cycle of destruction. Right. I'll give you another example too, just to like make it super clear. And I do this with all my classes. You know, if you can just imagine, all right, if you were to take a cup of water and from the height of where your mouth is, you just pour the water on the ground, right? How fast does the water hit the ground? Really right? fast. <laughs> it's going to be like less than a second. Okay, now if you take that same water and you pour it in your mouth, how long is it going to take for that water to hit the ground? A couple hours, depending on the person. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's, it's like being the, used. It's, it's being, being used. maximized in its use along that it's, same journey. Exactly. And I love that because I, I very much prefer the term maximalist over minimalist, even though they people in these categories may arrive at similar conclusions, but I love that this gives the word maximization a whole nother meaning. So I really love this. And it also makes me think about how, for example, when you have really healthy land and healthy soil and it rains, that soil with ideally plants that have very intricate and complex and deep root systems can really slow down the flow of the rainwater that falls. So it's able to hold that water, it's able to keep it there and maximize its use as opposed to really degraded and compacted land where when it rains, it might just run off right away. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, water is, is so wonderful for understanding these, these concepts because it's like so physical and in front of you. I think water is just like, I use water in my classes specifically for this because it's a movement of energy that you can really see feel touch like be involved with on a on a really like just face-to-face -face level and once you understand that this happens for water you understand that this happens for all of the earth's gifts like this happens for carbon this happens for nitrogen this happens for energy electricity like money this is a, a fundamental understanding of energy's movement and water is just one of the ways that 
we can see and feel and touch that energy in a really raw way. So I know you take issue with the word natural, and we had discussed this in our first interview, but it's a word that seems to separate what came from quote-unquote nature from what is man-made, implying that we are not a part of nature. But I'm curious Mm -hmm. how you would distinguish something that has been evolved as part of the ecological process compared to what we've disrupted or changed. Because I think when people use the word natural, a lot of times that's what they're trying to get at. Like, for example, the quote-unquote natural water cycle versus the one that Mm -hmm. we've created that really shortens its maximization of use, or natural wildfires versus ones that escaped from campfires, for example. My my issue with the word, as you said, is it's really based on You know, if you look up the Oxford English Dictionary definition of nature, I don't have it memorized exactly, but it's something like all of the phenomenon of the earth, including plants, animals, microorganisms, etc., as opposed to humans and human creation. Yeah, so I just pulled it up. It's the phenomena of the physical world collectively, including plants, animals, the landscape, and other features and products of the earth, as opposed to humans or human creations. Exactly, exactly. And so when I saw this definition, I mean, this is after I had I had understood about you know this idea of unnatural and natural not being a helpful way of of dividing the the earth. But when I when I looked at this definition, I it made me really realize that you know it's almost this purposeful way of dividing us from from our mother and it was really became clear to me that like this is not a distinction that I want to make and so what you're saying which is that there is a you're saying that there is a distinction right between this healthy system of water's movement versus the systems that we have created recently in these these certain cultures right so for me it's it's not that the idea that you're you're conveying is wrong it's just that the word you're using is not an accurate accurate word to describe the idea that you're trying to convey so it's really about that word choice so you know when you say natural often what you mean is healthy sometimes what you mean is just common and i'll give some you know some other examples that maybe people would not think of in this context, but I I think about this a lot. Like people used to say homosexuality is unnatural, right? If you look at signs of like protesters, you know, protesting gay marriage, they'll say things like men having sex with men is unnatural. And I would say, well, maybe it's just uncommon, you know, like, okay, most men don't have sex with men, but it's just and it's not unnatural it's just uncommon right and you know in terms of the water cycle like yeah this water cycle we've created which has you know been created primarily through human action except i would say it's primarily through colonial human action it's not unnatural it's just unhealthy and and also like i would say that these these systems we've created have become common as 
this culture has expanded its influence, this colonial culture has expanded its influence over the planet. But still, this culture, this colonial culture, if you compare it to all other human cultures that have existed, it's uncommon. Mm. It's rare. Most human cultures have not viewed the earth and their relationship to the earth in this way. It's a very, you know, it's a very uncommon idea in terms of human cultures to think that you kind of popped out of nowhere on this earth and when you die, you're going to pop out to some other plane of existence. Most human cultures see that you arose from this soil. You arose from, you know, that I think so many cultures have this idea of like in Mesoamerican cultures, humans are siblings of the corn or children of the corn. And in Hawaii, Taro is your, your older sibling. So, you know, you arose from this earth, you're tightly connected, tightly bound to the other beings of this planet, and you will return to this earth. I think that is a, the more common understanding of, of human relation and human participation in this, you know, in this planet. Right. So in regards to the natural bit, it's really not natural versus unnatural or natural versus artificial. It's more so perhaps unhealthy versus healthy or something like common versus rare, putting everything into context. And I totally hear you on the importance of understanding the nuances of language that perpetuates this story of separation that is more uncommon as opposed mm -hmm. to the story of integration that we've held largely for the majority of our human civilizations. But I'm curious about whether there are instances when it's necessary to speak the language of the people you're communicating with just to get your message across in ways that they already understand. So people who haven't gone through these perspective shifts and education is all you just shared. So for example, when I talk about holistic health, I'm talking about our collective well-being, including our Earth's, because when we feel aligned with an integrated worldview, we see that it's literally not possible to isolate the parts and see my health as pertaining to just my bodily self. But mm -hmm. for people who don't have that embedded worldview, they may interpret holistic health in a totally different manner, such as simply involving alternative healthcare not included in Western medicine. So how do you approach these instances when you're not educating on the perspectives, but you have to get some point across to people, for example, in the dominant environmental movement, who don't see nor define certain words the ways that you do? That's a really interesting point or interesting question, because I actually find that the more I move away from these words that I find are not accurate descriptions of the world that we live in, the better communicator I become and the more people my my language becomes accessible to mm. because I think actually these words that we use you know natural unnatural consumer waste consumption even just things like good and bad and positive and negative I think those are actually the abstractions when you use those words you are speaking actually really unclearly and when we use the words that actually describe the world that we live in, I think your language and your, your message 
becomes really, really clear. And this has been my experience from teaching the, the classes that I teach, even just from the videos. Like, I actually find that it's much easier. You know, I'll give you an example. Like, we just had a, a workshop at our farm. And we had a guest teacher come in. And so she titled the workshop Natural Diet Workshop, right? And this word natural, it's so unclear. What does it mean? Okay, natural, it came from nature. Okay, what the hell does that mean, right? Like everything came from nature, right? Like petroleum is just condensed trees from a couple thousand years ago. Like where where you draw those lines, like anytime you make these kind of black or white categories, natural, unnatural, it becomes very unclear. Now, if I say plant-based dye workshop, it's very clear what that workshop is about. We're going to make dyes out of plants. I could say animal dye workshop. We're going to make dye out of animals. But when I say natural dye workshop, it's very unclear. Mm-hmm. And so I like to be, I, I use this language with everyone because I think it's actually easier to communicate. It's specific. And these words we use, they're actually very judgmental too, right? Like what you're saying, when you say like, oh, this is a natural hair care product, this is natural food what you're really using that word to mean is good. This is good food, and that other food is bad food. And so you're being judgmental in your, in your language. And so I ask people in my classes that, you know, while you're in this class, instead of using these judgmental words, I want you to actually use descriptive words. So instead of coming to me and saying, my soil, is, it sucks. It's bad. <laughs> I need new soil because the soil is bad. I want you to use descriptive words. I want you to tell me, you know, my soil, it's very hard. It's hard for me to dig into it. When I plant things in it, the plants tend not to do well. The soil has this tan color. It's dry. When we choose to be descriptive rather than judgmental, then we actually open up a world of possibilities. We say, okay, if my soil is hard, then what can I do to introduce looseness to the soil? If my soil is dry, what can I do to introduce moisture to the soil? So it really encourages you to think in terms of possibilities rather than in terms of endings. You know, if your soil is bad, then the soil is the soil is lost. It cannot be recovered. It needs to be removed. It needs, and you need to buy a new soil to replace that bad soil. So mm. I choose to be descriptive and not judgmental. Right. So really powerful. Again, it's going from more judgmental language that, you know, people may interpret these things in different ways. So it's actually not as accurate to simply be judgmental as opposed to descriptive, which more accurately describes what is going on. And I do think a lot of the harmful things that we use with language actually come from judgmental language. So for example, this whole concept of greenwashing often comes from judgmental language being used for people saying this is green or words that are vague that really mm-hmm. don't don't help people understand what sorts of practices have been used. Or even the idea of clean energy, for example, that is judgmental language to describe the energy source, but it really doesn't tell us all the intricacies to do with a lot of quote-unquote clean energy having come from really community-polluting minds. So I think it really helps to 
be specific about the language that we use and to not cover them with these words that don't tell us the full story and are therefore limiting for us. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is something, when you, when you start to notice it, you see that in our culture, it, it happens everywhere and all the time. You know, this need to categorize everything into good and bad. Like, like you said, conscious consumerism, unconscious consumerism, you know, green, green materials, green energy, non-green energy, sustainable, you know, you hear these questions all the time, right? Like, oh, this uh, electric cars, are they sustainable? Or, you know, cotton, is it sustainable? Like, what, what exactly are we asking? You know, like, you know, any, any process, any being cannot, you know, just be summarized into a, a yes or a no, a good or a bad, like, that's not how the world exists. And so, you know, moving from this instant judgment and instant, so it's a very like, it's just turning the world into black and white so that, you know, you can feel comfortable making, making decisions without consulting yourself, right? Like, it's really, a, it's a way for people to not make decisions themselves. It's a way for people to to give their power over to others like hey is is this sustainable and you're looking for that yes or no so that you can say you can say to yourself okay this is the good thing to buy or this is the bad thing to buy this is the good thing to do this is a bad thing to do when you know really like what this shift from colonial structures colonial language colonial culture to to you know what you might call a regenerative culture or you know, more indigenous culture is about all of us reclaiming our power and our agency to do what feels right for us in, you know, any situation. Green Dreamer, we've come full circle here. If our show has moved you, we'd love to get your direct support at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Today's intermission song featured is Souvenir by Irini Skylakaki. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell, and I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you soon in the next episode. <laughs>